0: If so, we have got your back. We have launched an ebook called Conversations on Monetization. Inside this resource, we take your favorite podcast episodes about monetization and we put them all in one easy, accessible package. We threw a few exclusive interviews in as well. Friends, there are so many ways to monetize your food blog. Inside this ebook, we have interviews with success stories like Todd Bullock, Alyssa Brantley, Kelly McNellis, Jenna Carlin, and more. All of these examples have become successful through completely different monetization strategies. Whether you are a brand new blogger looking for your very first revenue stream, or you are a seasoned pro wanting to diversify, this ebook is for you. Go to eatblogtalk.com to grab your copy and we can't wait to hear your success story with monetization. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk. This podcast is for you, food bloggers wanting value and clarity to help you find greater success in your business. Today, I will be having a chat with Debbie Gartner from theflooringgirl.com, and we are going to talk about affiliate marketing. Debbie has been blogging about flooring, painting, and home decor since 2011. Originally, this was for her local flooring business. Four years ago, she found herself 200 Hundred and thirty-eight thousand dollars in debt. So she decided to learn how to monetize her blog. By month 27, her earnings were over $20,000 in profit a month. And at three and a half years, she had totally cleared off all that debt, which is incredible, Debbie. I just love this. Um, I'm excited to hear about your story about how you overcame such a massive amount of debt. But first, we want to hear your fun fact.
1: Oh yeah, I'm not sure if it's that much fun, but um I know you have a lot of food vloggers here, and I'm probably one of the world's pickiest eaters so when Harry met Sally came out, so many of my friends thought that it was kind of based on me <laughs> very picky when I order in restaurants and the way I make my food so that's my little fun fact. I even want to go to McDonald's
0: <laughs> Oh, that's so funny You know, I often interview people who are food bloggers who either say that they were really picky for a long time in their lives or that didn't even cook until they were 20 or 30 years old. So it's always interesting people's relationships with food and whether they're picky or not, especially for us food bloggers, because a lot of us love and devour food. What is your favorite food?
1: Oh, I love food. I totally love food. And I love chocolate, too.
0: Mm. If you had to pick one meal to eat for the next week, what would it be?
1: Oh, um, so I guess what I'm currently eating all the time is uh, pasta with pesto sauce. I have this pesto sauce that I love and lots of Parmesan cheese. So I have that and I try to strain out the extra oils that are in there as those are probably not so good.
0: Oh, I love pesto. It's so delicious. All right, Debbie, while you did not come here to talk about um, being picky, but I appreciate you sharing that, I alluded in your bio to a pretty incredible story about just overcoming debt in such a smart way, and I'm so impressed that you were able to do that. I feel like a lot of people would have just thrown in the towel and pulled the blanket over their head and wanted to cry and never come out. But you tackled this. And I am just intrigued. So tell us your story. Let's hear it.
1: Well, thanks. I appreciate it. And I don't want to, you know, say that I went on this thing like head on with a whole plan. Um, So I definitely cried my eyes out for months. And at times, I think I probably hyperventilated as well. So it was definitely very very hard Um, it came as a big shock and I had 24 hours to make a decision and then pick up the pieces in my life so um, you know what I this happened just about four years ago um, the very end of the year and you know finally when I got to December 31st I was like okay it's going to be a new year, and I'm going to basically start over and start a new life and a new attitude, so I better pull myself together. So that's what I tried to do. Um, it was very, very hard, and I was still would cry every day, but only once a day, which was a step in the right direction. And to be honest, the debt was so overwhelming. I didn't know how I would overcome it. I knew that getting a regular job was not going to solve all my issues. But one thing I did psychologically to help myself out, because $238,000 sounded impossible to me. Like, I still can't believe that I did it, but it really sounded impossible. So I faked myself out and I broke my debt into like two big chunks. So the first big chunk was um, just $68,000 and I had... Get that paid down in um I had four years. There there was actually a deadline. And I said I'm gonna deal with the other chunk after. And I had a I don't know what to call it, but not a long term loan, but a midterm loan. And that was coming due, um I think around five years or so. So I'm like, I'm gonna be like scarlet and I'll think about it tomorrow. <laughs> so that's what I did. So then it sounded more manageable. Cause I'm like, okay, I just have to get, make $68,000. And I mean, which still sounded pretty impossible, but I'm like, okay. And then I kind of charted it all out. Like if I actually had paper, I didn't even have paper. I was so poor, which I'll tell you about in a second. But <laughs> If I had paper, I would have like marked it out on a wall and done those markers of every step along the way. But instead, I did stuff on a computer with spreadsheets. I love that. And I broke out different things I needed to pay. And then every month, I would keep, you know, ticking it down. So I would see the progress month after month, but you can do it in the same way that you do like a blood drive or something and you, you know, get to your goal. But but that's essentially what I did. Obviously, I cut down, like whatever costs I could, but I had already I was already pretty low on everything. Like I wasn't spending much on anything. So, you know, I had no TV. I had no heating and AC, which sounds worse than it really is because I live in a building. So there was like the baseboard heater, which I guess the building pays for. So I would not get freezing cold, but Oh my gosh, the the summer was really awful. (laughs) Um, So I would, we, we have a pool, sort of. So we had a pool, and that's why I chose the building. And so I would try to go in the pool the hottest time of day and then soak my clothes and try to stay cool that way and putting cold towels on and everything. I know, it's crazy. Um, and yes, yeah, here's like everything broke in my house my vacuum cleaner, my microwave, like everything it was just so bad. <laughs> But it's easy to laugh about now because now I've actually been through it. But I had so little money that I was afraid to even go to the coffee shop. So I would have to network with people at times so I could try to get some jobs and stuff. And I did not know if I'd have enough money to be able to pay for the coffee or the gas that I used to pay there. But what I basically decided to do after cutting as much cost as I possibly could I spent like no money on myself I started getting private label brands and all that sort of stuff but um I basically said okay I have a blog right and I had a I started this blog in 2011 and I already had a lot of traffic and I wasn't even trying so my, my blog was set up to help with my former flooring business and it did a good job but I was getting well over 100,000 page views a month um, without really trying very hard. And I probably for a while did like one blog post a month. But I'm like, I figured out the hard part. Now I just had to figure out all the other stuff, right? So I already knew how to do SEO. So I said, I'm going to learn this. I know it's going to take a while. And so I can't rely on my blog for my income. I need to get something else to supplement. So I basically took on two part-time jobs So one was actually doing blogging and SEO for other people, for local businesses. So I did that. And then the other thing I did is I went to one of my painters who I used to refer refer flooring jobs to when he would, I mean, flooring customers to get their paint done and he would do vice versa for those that needed their floors. And I just begged him for a job. And um, first he said no. Cause it was January and you know nobody needs to do home decor here um, in New York, you know, when it snows and everything, but he came back to me a couple of days later and he said, you know, I don't really need you, but I know you're really good with a customer. So I'm willing to give you a shot and I will pay you just based on commission. So if you sell jobs, you make money. If you don't, you don't make any and it doesn't cost me any money. So that's what I did. So I use that to sustain myself while I'm parallel trying to learn how to make money from my blog. And then, and I also, yeah, I live in New York, like right outside New York city. So it's very expensive and I'm in a condo and selling it was not an option and blah, blah, blah. And all this debt. And I, you know, went on Medicaid and all these things, but even so I needed basically to make $10,000 a month just to not go totally under. And, that way, I figured i 'll be okay. I can buy some time to pay the i r s with whatever taxes I need to, and hopefully you know i 'll have enough you know by the following April to to pay everything so that was kind of my going in attitude, and i 'm just doing this for the long term. I need to make sure i don 't fall underneath in the short term if that makes sense.
0: Oh, that is so inspiring, Debbie. I feel like I said this already in the beginning, but Yes, you were sad and you said that you cried during the time when you were trying to figure out how to tackle this. But I feel like so many people wouldn't have moved forward in the way that you did. And I am so inspired and encouraged by you. I think that you have a strength that so many people do not have, and that took so much courage. And I am almost in tears. Like, I am just, that is so inspiring to me. So
1: thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. The truth is I really had no choice. Like people have asked me this all the time. How did I do it? And and I don't know, but I I, like I had no choice because, you know, if I just gave up, I would have lost my apartment um, and all the money I'd put in, you know, for years and down payments and all that sort of stuff. And that sounded like a really terrible option. So I just kind of forced myself to get to work and, you know, do what I could and make sure I had a plan that at least logically made sense. And then it was, okay, now just, you know, work at it, learn how to do it. So I, you know, I bought a course or two and I started to do blogging and I started to learn how to do affiliate marketing. And then I just, you know, would crank out a post or two a week. And and I could see, I mean, it was slow at first. It was, I'm not going to get you, it was really <laughs> really slow and disappointing, you know, because you hear all these things about all these bloggers making all this money. And I remember being inspired by so many people and, and Pat Flynn was one of my heroes. Like if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't really know that this was even possible. And, you know, the year before I'm like, Oh, I'll just slap in a few affiliate links on my posts and I'll make $10,000 doing this. And you're like, you make two cents, you know, (laughs) it's so, Frustrating. So the good news is I knew it was possible, but I also knew it would take a while. So then it was just like, okay, I need to have, I need to diversify my income essentially because I need, I need some sure money coming in because the blog at the beginning is not a sure thing at all. It's very, very slow. I had traffic. So as soon as I turned the, the ads on, I made money and I'm like, yay! look how much money I made. And it was like $700 the first month. Um, and I'm like, that's awesome because I know it's going to go up, you know. And then it went to, I think, like $1,500. I'm like, oh, my God, if it keeps going up like this. But that's not what happens. You just, I plateaued, you know. So I was making like $1,500 and then $1,300 and $1,500. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then um, later in the year, I think around August, I made around $2,000, I'm like, oh my God, maybe this is the start of something new and great. And, and then I plateaued again. <laughs> it was just like, oh my God, I'm going to give up. Um, and then, oh yeah, I forgot until right now. So I told you that I had a job working with a painter. So in October of the first year, the painter went out of business. So I no longer had that income And I started to panic again and hyperventilate probably too. I remember we had a blogging meeting with my networking group. They're all like local bloggers here. And I was going to try to figure out what else to do. And maybe I can do some other, you know, work for people. And I just bawled my eyes out. I could not stop crying. (laughs) Yeah. And they all started giving me suggestions. And ironically, I could see things weren't working as we weren't getting as many appointments as we needed for, for painting. So I started to do a few blog posts for painting. Cause then I knew it and I'm like, let me see if I can get us a business. But then, you know, it was too late. He went under and it was like, okay, don't go to your appointments. Don't call anybody. We're done. (laughs) I'm like, but, um, so then I started to do some, some blog posts about painting and stuff like that. And I just started working really hard and, and uh, maybe I can get another job. Um, doing painting, but of course no one wanted to hire going into the holiday season. So I just worked really hard on my blog. And in November of that year, I somehow made $3,100. So I was like, oh my God, look at that, like over $3,000, like, oh my God. And I'm like, well, let's see what I can do next month. And the next month I made $4,100. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, let me just keep doing this. And then I'm like, no, January. January is a terrible month. All the ad rates go down. Um, but, of course, my my website had crashed in December, so it wasn't really a fair comparison. But in January, I made, um, I think, $4,400. I was like, oh, my God, look at that. I'm like, oh, no, February is a short month. It's only 28 days. What am I going to do? <laughs> I got to find some more, some more jobs. Um, but I somehow made $6,300. And then the month after I made um, like $6,600 because I just kept writing more blog posts and I started to get the hang of affiliate marketing. So then as I was getting more traffic, I made more on ads, but I also made more on affiliates at the same time. And then, you know, a couple months later, I made $8,000 and then I made a few hundred dollars more. And then by July of that year, I made I'm always talking profit here, so I hate when people just share their revenue and not profit. So, but I made ten thousand one hundred dollars. I'm like, oh my god, I actually made ten thousand dollars! Like, this is actually like a decent job, you know, at least for my area. It's it's hard to get by (laughs) with that amount of money here. Um, But anyway, so then I hired my first VA part time. I was very nervous. And then the next day on August first, there was a Google algorithm reset, and <laughs> just like, oh boy, yeah, and most of my a lot of my traffic came from there. I also do very well on Pinterest too, but I was just devastated. I'm like, "Oh my God, I have just worked hard for like eighteen or nineteen months in a row, and now it's all ruined and i I could not believe it, but thankfully, you know there was another google al- algorithm update on. September 27th. Yes, I can remember these dates. And then I started doing better than before. And I'm like, oh, this was a setback. But you know what, things change. And I just kept, you know, working at it harder and harder. And then from there, I made like $11,000. I made $12,000. And then the next month, I made $14,000. So after a while, once you figure out like what's working, it becomes rinse and repeats and you just have to do it more and more. But until you get to that point, this blogging thing can be so frustrating because you're working really hard. You're not getting much money. And then, you know, later that year, at the very end of my two years, I created my first ebook and that did really well. I was totally surprised. And so then, um, you know, my income shot up and be like $18,000 And then the next month I somehow made $24,000 and and this was the month I was working towards to try to figure out how to pay my, um, whatever I was going to have to give to the IRS. I didn't know how much it was, but I thought it was pretty bad. And, um, on March 31st, my CPA called me and he told me how much it was. And I, I like, didn't even know what to say. I was speechless and I was like, are you missing a digit? And he's like, no. I was like, oh my God, this is $25,000 less than what I thought it was going to be. And then he reminded me of all this other stuff and these accumulated losses I had. Like everything was legal, but um, I totally forgot. Like this is the power of having a really good CPA. They know how to actually save you money. So they're not really a cost, even though it feels that way. They're really an investment. And so... That was the point. I started screaming. I realized that I was done with that $68,000 in debt. <laughs> like,
0: oh, my gosh. That's so amazing. Oh, that had to be such a huge relief for you. And so amazing that you were able to do that.
1: Thanks. Thanks. So, yeah. So, at that point, I was just like, oh, my God. And I was so happy. And this Facebook group, I had a sale going on. And I just mentioned, oh, my God, you guys, I got out of the $68,000 in debt. And now I'm leaving my book up for sale for another few days to help you guys out because I'm so happy, blah, blah, blah. And then I sold more and made twenty four thousand dollars. <laughs>
0: I just couldn't man, that is amazing. Yeah. You're on a roll. It was like the momentum just built and then yeah, it was like your amount of money that you were. Seeing come in just kept growing, which is we all want to see the growth, right? That's incredible.
1: Exactly, exactly. And and first, I'm like, oh, this is a fluke. Like, it's not going to be that good next month. And of course, the next month was not as good, but it was still very good. Like, it was I forget twenty thousand dollars or twenty one thousand dollars. And then the next several months, you know, it was like be like twenty two thousand dollars, but At this point now, for me, it's been 22 months in a row, all with at least $20,000 a month in profit, not in revenue, in profit. And so you're right, like I was, the snowball was building and I just kept paying off the debt more and more. And then as the debt went down, I was paying less interest on it and it got, you know, better. And then I could actually invest in some stuff. At some point, you know, I bought a few little things for me, like, you know, like my back was uncomfortable while sitting on my bed. So I got one of those pillows that would be more comfortable. And I would do all these things where I'd say, okay, if you get this amount, you can treat yourself to coffee for a month or or something like that. You know, like all these little things that meant so much.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, the self-rewards are huge. I do that for myself too. I follow the, uh, I think it's called Profit First Strategy. It's a book. I oh, um, yeah.
1: finally read that book, yeah. I read that actually during Christmas time and I think that I unknowingly had done some of those things in the way that I would do my bank accounts and put the money aside for taxes and not spend money on this. So I'm reading, I'm like, oh my God, Like I kind of did this myself.
0: (laughs) That's really cool. Good for you. It is a really smart strategy. And one of the things I like that he talks about, the author talks about is using the profit as kind of a self-reward. So, you pay yourself a profit. I mean, every time you get paid, you put a certain percentage of profit aside. And then at the Beginning of every single quarter, you take that profit and you like treat yourself to something. It's like a way of saying, Good job, you did amazing. So that's just one of the strategies. But I love that you do that. I think a lot of us are the same way in that we are motivated by those little things. Like you mentioned, coffee, Debbie, me too. That's what I do. I'm like, Okay, if you do the, if you meet this goal, you can get. Coffee for yourself. And that's something that I don't treat myself to all the time. But just isn't it funny how just that one little thing, like coffee out, is just so extravagant and can motivate us so much.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. It would be like lots of little things like that. Or could, at one point, I bought a new vacuum because my vacuum didn't work, you know. (laughs) So it'd be these little things that just ended up meaning so much to me. And They just motivated me to make sure I reached whatever that target was that I set for myself, except I would do it then at that point every month. But it would be a small little thing.
0: Yeah, I think that was very smart. So just a couple of things that you said, you said so many good things that I want to touch on before I ask you how you strategize, because I think everyone listening is probably like, okay, great, you made all this money, but tell us how to do it. Tell us how to get started with affiliate marketing and all of that. But first, I just want to point out how awesome I think it is that you broke it into chunks because seeing that big debt or anything, it doesn't even have to be a debt, but seeing a big problem can be so overwhelming that we can absolutely freeze and not do anything. I deal with this almost every day with my son. He gets very overwhelmed by his schoolwork and just like how his brain works more so than others, he gets extremely overwhelmed. And so I have to sit with him every day and say, how do you eat an elephant? And he's like, just gobble it down. I'm like, no, no, you have to start with one bite. And just taking a chunk of it is all you need to do. And you focus on that one thing. And then when that's done, you're like, oh my gosh, nice work, good job. Now we need to move on to the second thing. And that I think for any problem, whether it's in business or just your life in general, is that is such a smart way to go about it because otherwise we would all be like, nope, sorry, I'm going the other way.
1: Oh, I, I was also gonna say, I had to get creative with some things Um, which I forget about this until things come up. But like I was so broke that my computer was um, crashing all the time and I did not have money to buy a new computer. And I'm using my computer in order to blog and make money and to blog for other people where they're paying me by the hour. So it was really a mess. I remember one of my friends who had faith in me, she, and I think this was, this must've been her idea because I never would have come up with it but I needed $800 for a computer. So she said that um, I could borrow it from her and pay her back gradually. And she was not in a rush. And that was like, that meant so much to me because I could actually write a blog post or write whatever I needed to do without losing all my work and having to redo it. And and that was a big help. The other thing is i It's despite this big mess that I was in. I've always had really good credit, which I think is important. And obviously I paid my mortgage on time as well. But I had from years ago a credit card that I got back when things were pretty bad, like maybe 2010 or something. So it's one of those things where if you paid like at least 10% of the balance by, by the due date, then... You only had to pay like seven and a quarter percent interest you know rather than the twenty five percent that you pay on credit cards, and so I would do that each month and then use the other money to pay off the things that had higher credit as well, and I got creative with some of the the places that I owed money to because there's only so much credit that I had. but I said, "Look, I will pay this back to you because I got this five thousand dollar bill." you know, I don't know, two months after I was into this whole thing and I was like devastated again. But I, I called them, I said, look, can I pay you $1,000 now? I'll pay you $1,000 for each month because you can put it on this credit card because as I pay the money off, then there will be more credit and you can put it on there. And they were willing to work with me because I guess they must have done one of those, what do those people call when they come after you for the money? Oh, like a, the- just
0: a debt collector
1: or... Yeah, so I had a debt collector calling me because this whole I had this $5,000 bill that I did not know about and it went to my old office where I had shut it down and so the letter never got to me but they were probably at that point happy to be able to get the money that I owe them and I said look I'll get it to you just need some time to get it to you so they were willing to work with me so I did some creative things like that. Um and with my mom and my aunt would always get me a birthday present. I mean not expensive but you know small things So I'm like oh, I want you to invest in my blog You know, maybe you can invest in a course that I want and give me the money for that or you can um, Give me a, a month's worth of coffee that I can get. So remember I told you I had no air conditioning It was horrible, but in the library they had air conditioning So I would go out during the day and the air conditioner, but you can't just sit in the library and not order anything, you know, or Starbucks or whatever. But I used my birthday presents to do that. So I would do that in July and August to make it through those months. And and our swimming pool had got had remodeled it so it was closed for like a year. It was just (laughs) like one thing after another.
0: Well, you are resourceful. Oh, my goodness. As you're talking, I'm thinking, wow, you are just like the most resourceful person I have ever met. That's incredible. All the ways that you thought through things.
1: I'm not the most, but when you're desperate, like you start to realize things that you didn't realize before, like, Oh, let me try to try to figure out a creative way to do this. It's like, Did you ever see that video on the four-hour house?
0: I don't think so. So
1: I must have seen this a long time ago somewhere. So in some brainstorming session, they're trying to like open up your mind. Like how long does it take to build a house? Oh, six months. What if you do it really quickly? Oh, four months. Or maybe you can get down to three months. You say, well, what if I said the challenge is to build a house in in four hours? How, How would you do that? And they show this video of how they do everything. They completely do everything differently. Or it's like in that movie Witness. You know, with Harrison Ford, the Amish, they built the house in one day. It's the same thing. You just break down all the things that were the previous barriers to your mind and your thinking. And and until you do that, you often don't realize what's actually possible. So that's sometimes where the ideas come from when you're pushed to the extreme. Not that I'm creative because I'm not. <laughs>
0: I'm really- <laughs> no, but that that is a good way to frame it. So when you need to, you can really accomplish something Like extraordinary. And I always encourage people in the Eat Blog Talk community to push themselves with just getting tasks done more quickly than they think they can because I, this is how I work, I'm super efficient because of that. I will give myself the smallest window of time to complete a task. Where most people would say that's impossible, you can't do that. And I'm like, watch me, because if you, and anyone can do it, it's not just me. If you sit down and you give yourself, 20 minutes to do something that takes most people three hours, you can do it. If you are determined, you can get it done. And the four hour house I had not heard of, but it's that same principle where you just like remove certain things that are not necessary from the process in order to make it happen.
1: Right. And you're bringing up a really good point because I feel a lot of times I'm very in a, now, especially because I don't have that same pressure. I'm can be very inefficient with my time and with my blogging. I'm a very slow writer and um, I should start do, doing more of what you're saying and giving myself those time frames. I just um, took a course over the weekend and someone, she actually cranks out a new course every month, once a month. And I'm like, oh, my God. And not only that, I think she does it in about 30 hours worth of work. Well,
0: that's crazy.
1: And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, so I want to start trying to do some different things like this. And maybe I need to artificially create this pressure for myself, just like I had a few years ago. So thank you for inspiring me. I
0: just wanted to bring that up because that's such an important point. Most people go into things like what you experienced, Debbie, not having a choice and just having to make it work. But what about the people who go into something that don't have a deadline or a pressing debt to pay or something how do they make it work and it's along the same lines as what we're saying is that you have to use self-imposed pressure and self-imposed deadlines because without that i feel like it's so easy just to say well i don't really need to do that i could do this next quarter and you can always push things back and so many of us do that
1: yeah and, and i do too and you know i'm really impressed with all these moms out there like i don't even have kids um, but they're juggling you know kids and now homeschooling too, like all these things, but they always say like if you want something done, give it to someone who's busy and so some of those moms are super, super organized and super efficient with their time, and even myself, like when I had those two part time jobs, I did not have as much time to get all my stuff done and I, and that probably forced me into getting it done because I had less time and because I knew that every day that's going by, I'm getting charged interest on that. So just make it happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. You just make it happen. There you go. That's like the theme, right? Um, I also wanted to touch on just one other thing really quick before we hear about your strategies and how you feel like people should move forward. The ad plateau that you mentioned, I think that is such a real thing that people don't realize getting into display advertising and maybe going through an ad network. Um, But it's so true. And I just want to warn anyone listening that you will go through those times where you're like, oh, it's not going up and it stays the same for a really long time. That is part of it. And just not to be frustrated by that process because everyone deals with that. And I just wanted to point that out because I thought you said that so well, just the fact that there's a plateau.
1: It's it's so true. Well, there are many things that happen. I mean, you know, I really believe in diversification for so many reasons. And obviously, ad revenue is just one of them. But there's another aspect, which is when, when, it, when it's ad revenue, it's basically, you know, the ads on the page, right? Your media strategy, which you give to a media company. But then it's also traffic. And so, traffic, there's only so much of it that you can create. And for me, I was getting maybe around 150,000 page views a month, hundred and sixty, hundred. you know, I couldn't really get much past it. And it turned out that one of my biggest barriers on that, and I had no idea until later, it was my hosting. So my site has always been slow and I had used HostGator for years and I would make, you know, incremental you know, changes and like an upgrade to this, you know, but they were like small incremental changes and it was really frustrating. And then I changed to big scoots. Not not that people have to use big scoots, but the point is I went from a shared hosting plan to a managed hosting plan. And when I went there, it was really scary at the time because I was barely able to pay my bills. And so it was going to be, I thought it was going to be a hundred dollars a month, but at the time, it was only $35 a month, but that felt scary to me, okay? And I did it, and I'm like, oh, my God. And then they, they improved my site speed. They did a bunch of things. Like, I'm not good at all this tech stuff at all, but they, they knew what they were doing, and I was paying them to do it, you know? And then, like, a month later, my traffic went up, and then it went up and up and up. So I think within, like, three or four months, my traffic kind of doubled, Or something, maybe it was up 92% or something like that. So I'm continuing to write blog posts. But because of the speed, I I didn't realize that my host was holding me back. So they were basically throttling my speed. But I didn't realize that that was a problem. Once I saw the problem solved, I'm like, oh, my God, I should have done this six months ago. So I've had so many times during these four years where I'm like, oh, my God. How could I have been so stupid? Like why didn't I realize this? Why why didn't I listen? You know, or or why didn't I discover this from someone else? You know, I'm just so down my my pathway of this is what I do. This is what I do and just do it and rinse and repeat. But you have to start over time to fold other things in. Like when I started to create products as well, then my income started to, you know, go up. When I started doing affiliate marketing and I was more focused on what that was, my income started to increase if that makes sense but you kind of learn some of this after the fact and I wish I could go back in time and tell myself like just do this like listen to your future self yes
0: well I'm with you there are so many things that if I could go back to a past Megan I would definitely tell her do this don't do that but you know what the past is the past and I always say this too it's just like that was my story for whatever reason i needed to learn those lessons the hard way because i learned a lot of blogging lessons the hard way i feel like harder than a lot of other people but that's just my story maybe that's what makes me a good podcast host i don't know maybe it it adds value to eblog talk in some way i just have to believe that because it makes me feel better
1: <laughs> oh yeah no i'm sure that's true and sometimes yeah we're just like little kids we don't even listen to what's obvious, or listen to what other people are telling us until we hear it enough time. And that's the thing is, I also listen to a bunch of you know podcasts and read a lot of things. So you have to constantly be learning in this business because that's how you get better and you improve. And you know whatever method that is for you, whether it's listening to a podcast or taking a course or reading blog posts, I don't really care. Just keep learning. Be a const a constant student. Just Keep learning. Keep learning and growing. That
0: is such great advice. I feel like the title of this episode should not just be affiliate marketing because we're covering so much other good stuff, Debbie, that you have tapped into in the past four years when you just found the need to um, make money in a huge way. So I appreciate all the extra stuff that you're delivering, but let's talk about affiliate marketing because I know people will probably dive into this episode wanting to get started with affiliate marketing. What is the best way if someone has no idea, they don't have any previous experience, what's the best way?
1: Okay. So, and and I do recommend taking at least one course for affiliate marketing, whatever course that is, I don't really care, but it's very, very helpful to... To learn it that way because you see lots of examples. Because I was kind of dense and and thick for a while, I didn't quite get it. And when I started to see other people's examples, even if they were in completely different categories, it really, really helped me. But the first thing you want to do is really, as always, like focus on the customer. Like, who is your target audience? What is your what is your niche about? How can you serve and meet those needs? The customer or consumer is always First, I used to work at p years ago, so um, it was always focus on the cus- the customer. Focus focus on what they need. Don't worry about your competition; they'll be there. But learn about what does your consumer need, and if you follow that, everything else will fall into place. So a lot of people ask the wrong question at the beginning, like "What are the best affiliate partners?" Like that is the wrong question. The right question is really What do my customers need and how can I tell them the right things to get and advise them like a, you know, consultation, whatever you want to call it. And then who are the affiliates that have those products? For me personally, I started with Amazon and I think that Amazon can work with a lot of, a lot of niches and a lot of stuff. And then it's about finding the right products on Amazon or, or wherever, and I'm not saying people need to do Amazon, but I just felt it was an easy one to get started with because most people buy from Amazon, they know them, they trust them. But it's not just Amazon; it's like what's right at Amazon. Amazon they they sell almost everything, right? So for me, I started with things that are good for my audience. So I write about hardwood flooring, which unfortunately is not really sold on Amazon. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure you can imagine it, that was kind of hard. But I said, well, what do they need? Well, my customers always ask me, what's the right cleaning product to use? So I could write a blog post on that. What's the best cleaning product for hardwood floors? What's the best vacuum to use? What's the best whatever? Um, and just figure out those things that are right for your customers. So that's what that's what I think you should do. It's not about being with a broad affiliate network like share sale or impact radius and you're welcome to check those out but at the beginning i kind of made this mistake and i think a lot of others do you you try to do too much at once and you're spending all this time applying to networks and asking people what are the best affiliates and you know what are the best products and you go in there and then you have to get accepted again to another program within a program You've got to keep track of all your passwords blah 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 and it's very frustrating and it's not productive So instead, go the opposite way, which is what does my customer need? How do I write a post about what my customer needs and what are going to be items? And where can I find affiliates for that? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that does make sense. And you're right. I think that a lot of people go about this the complete opposite way. But this just simplifies it for us, too. It takes that stress out of it, I think, that the stress involved in keeping track of it all and okay, I'm going to put this product out to my audience today, but do I really stand behind it? So it's just getting down to like maybe that one thing to start with. What are they needing for me? As you were talking, I was thinking through, okay, now what, what would my people need? The one thing that people ask me about all the time that it's my number one seller through Amazon Associates is a cake pan that fits into an Instant Pot because I have an Instant Pot cake recipe that requires a smaller cake pan. You know, like the normal eight-inch version does not fit inside. So they're always like, well, how do I how do, I do this? And so that six or seven-inch cake pan is number one seller. So maybe I could just like really dig into that write a blog post about it that's such a great idea instead of just maybe putting a link inside of your recipe post you could write Mm -hmm. an entirely separate article about it and say this is what the pan looks like and here's how it fits and just going through why it yeah like why it really is necessary so that would just starting really simple basically
1: yeah, so I did a combination because I already had an existing blog, you know. Now, my blog was written for a different purpose. My blog was written to try to find local customers to call me to get an appointment, but I took those blog posts that people were already reading, and then I'd say where do my links naturally fit in there? And and that helped, but it did not get me a ton of money. It's when I went to the next level of what you just said, what do they need and how do I write a specific post On that so if you often think about this is is not just for Amazon but for anything like what's the best blah for blah so if I were like um, let's say I had a sports blog or something I don't know but I if I just write like what are the best sneakers and people search for that I am never ever ever going to rank for that right probably not unless i'm like a huge power blogger already okay which is not where any of us start from okay it's also not very helpful because even if i did rank for that think about all the people that are coming to that and they need different types of sneakers so if i substituted what are the best sneakers and i said what are the best sneakers for um people with flat feet you know like that's totally different or what are the best i don't know soccer cleats or what i mean i'm not really a sports person anymore but you know the point is that there are different needs for different people so when you can say what's the best blah for blah and then the second blah is basically um the type of person or the need you know that basically solves whatever the problem is because this whole blogging thing is about sorry about that this is my facebook going off um this whole blogging thing is about solving people's questions and solving people's problems and what are they going to search for on Google? And that's what you want to write something about. That
0: makes complete sense to me. And you spoke through that so well. So I appreciate that. Do you recommend people start with Amazon? Is that a really easy place to start? Or maybe they have something that really would fit the need for their user. And it's not on Amazon. What, what are your thoughts?
1: Okay. So I would say in general, if Amazon can work, try that first. And if Amazon can't, then try whatever you think is most relevant for your customer. But the principles are all the same. So with Amazon, some bloggers say, oh, that's crap. You can't make money on that. You're going to make 10 cents here, 10 cents there, whatever. Um, But the truth is you can make a good amount of money. So I make on Amazon four to $5,000 a month, even with the reduced commissions. And it's a few different things. So it's basically getting SEO traffics that your blog posts rank, and then it becomes a whole volume thing. So even if I'm making, you know, a dollar per item that people buy on average, but if I'm, you know, selling 10,000 of those a month you know what I just made up those numbers but you get the idea and then you say okay well can I do the same thing and instead of it being sneakers which I don't know how much sneakers cost now but let's say they cost $100 but now can I find something like like that that's in the $200 range and then if I do the same principle you know then I'm making more per transaction but I'm re- rinsing and repeating The same process what is the best blah for blah so um so that that's a thing but even though the commission percent may be low there are many people out there in the world who buy sneakers or buy whatever whatever versus if you talk about blogging products which is a whole other ball game but a lot of people when they're new they'll start to try to Blog about blogging drives me up a wall, but anyway, they'll be like, Oh, I can make $65 selling this hosting or $50 selling this hosting, and that sounds like a high commission item, right? Compared to the dollar I'm going to make on Amazon. But if you don't rank, you're never going to get anywhere, right? And if you don't have the right target audience for that, you're completely irrelevant. So on my blog about flooring and painting, I'm never going to put something on there about how to start a blog or the best hosting it doesn't make sense I mean I get over 600,000 people a month coming to my site and what percent of them are interested in blogging like what less than one percent I mean so relevance is totally important so again you have to think about who is my target audience? Who are the people I'm trying to reach? Who are the people coming to my site already? And what do they need and want? So if I'm blogging about food, right, then I am well, I I guess I, could be I can be talking to people that want to cook or can be talking to people that want to eat. And sometimes there's overlap between the two. But what is it that they that they need? What is their problem to be solved? You know, am I trying to find ways to, I don't know, that they can save their food in the freezer or or batch their cooking, you know, for a week or, or whatever. I mean, you know better than I do because I'm, I'm not a food blogger. But, you know, what are the what are the tools? What are the appliances? You know, where can people get the best food or the organic food, whatever it is that they need? So many of those things have affiliate partners. You may just not realize it. I mean, even on Amazon, there's like Amazon Fresh and, and all that stuff. Like people should just search for, pretend there's no... Affiliates out there that are good or bad and just say "What is my customer need and let me try to find an affiliate that fulfills that need and then let me try them out and recommend them
0: that is really great solid advice. do you have any thoughts on how many affiliates people should juggle at once, especially if they're just getting their toes in the water?
1: Well, I guess less is more um, so always it's the same thing there's only so much we can juggle so um, I don't know maybe. I'm making this up because I have not really thought about it, but maybe four or five at the beginning. The, the point is start with a few, get your feet wet. And after you start making some money on some of them, then start branching out. So with Amazon, they have a bazillion items on there, right? But that's still one affiliate. So I can write hundreds of blog posts theoretically just with Amazon. But then you want to branch out and diversify not only to grow, but also to stabilize your business. So, you know, when I started making money on Amazon, and by the way, Amazon is really good because they have a very high conversion rate, and people always look at how high is the commission, which is only like you selfishly looking at how much money you make, not not what your customer needs, okay but there's the other part of the question how how often does it convert? If it doesn't convert, it doesn't matter if I get a thousand dollars per commission or a hundred dollars or a dollar like zero times zero zero times 100 is still zero it's zero right um so with amazon in march of 2017 they dropped their commissions and this is around the time that i'm starting up like i started probably the very beginning of january 2017 and sort of like the end of december but end of december i was closing down my business and I was crying and I didn't know which end was up I didn't know what I would do I didn't know if I'd lose my place or anything, but kind of January I was starting, and then this happened three months later and I remember see, seeing people in a group and they said, "Oh yes this this happens all the time." and I'm like, "Oh my god you know and and I was so happy because I at that point I was getting up to seven percent commission you know on Amazon because The way it used to be is as you would sell more, it would go up and up, and then it would go up to like, you know, seven and a half, and then eight percent, and then up to ten percent or something. And so I felt like I was ruined, but I'm like, all right, so if I know that this is common, I have to make sure that I diversify my business. I need to think about this like the stock market. Like, you would never buy just one stock, right? Because there's tons of variability in the stocks. Instead, you buy multiple stocks to diversify and then you grow and then things go down. Like, you know, when a company messes up or has a, I don't know, a violation or whatever, or or like COVID, we've got that now too, which we can talk about in a minute. But these things happen all the time. So you stabilize by diversifying in many stocks or in mutual funds or, you know, ultimately diversifying your asset allocation, like what? you know, put some in real estate and put some in small cap and large cap and bonds and whatever. And, you know, when you get older, like when the stock market goes down, like it's a big deal, right? But if you're like 20 or 25, you're like, oh, this is good because now I can buy more stock and I will make more money in the long run, right? It all depends on where you are in life. But if you diversify and smooth things out, it's going to keep building. And then when stuff like coronavirus happens, you're, you're less devastated. I mean, obviously Corona affects all of us in many, many different ways. But if we talk about, you know, from a blogging perspective, you know, obviously if I was in travel, like that would have been devastating for me. Right. I I was lucky that I was at least in home decor, but none of us went through this thing scot-free. So, you know, for me, my ads, of course, went down, I made a lot less money on ads and, and that happens basically in any recession. And there and there are recessions every few years. So you can't just be dependent on ads. You have to have more affiliates. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's all right. It's not so so bad. Even though it's bad, not so so bad because my affiliate I'm still making money on those. And you know, ad revenue changes throughout the year, right? Like November, December, like awesome RPMs, right? get to january it's like half the amount and everyone's all surprised if they're a new blogger but it happens every year right um we we see it happen all the time so if you're prepared it's not as bad but when you have affiliate marketing like my amazon commissions do not go down that much when i go from december to january yeah people buy um some more stuff for holiday gifts and and things but i'm still on track to probably make um i don't know i think i've made 2400 2500 or so for the month and we're slightly over half of it So i'll still be within my range even so but now of course when this whole thing happened Affiliate commissions got slashed which which was very painful. Okay, so um The commissions I used to make a lot of like eight percent commissions For home decor and then that went down to like three percent So that was more than a 50 percent decline, but it didn't stop there right so one of my um partners they just completely shut down and it was for paint samples and I'm like why are you why are you shutting down like people are painting they're stuck at home like and and the stuff is like taking off like gangbusters right and like oh yeah but we need paint for the paint samples and our paint supplier is shut down because the coronavirus oh my god I didn't realize that and then I had something else where the commissions went down too or something. I can't remember, but I basically was looking at um, my everything when I added in the ads and the Amazon and the other affiliate was down like $12,000 a month. And I'm like, Oh no, you know, I still have all this debt because at that point I forget what I had, but I still had a lot of debt and um, I'm like, I'm, I'm so close to my goal. Like this, this can't happen, but I have products too, and the products were the ones that were most stable, and you have the most control over your products because you own them, you create them, right? Which means I can create more products. I can figure out how to market to my email list better, and I just created more, so I created more products. So it ended up stabilizing things. So when I was looking to be down to maybe fourteen or $15,000 in April... Um, I ended up making $28,000 despite all these problems happening. And then I created another product. I'm like, okay, I just need to pivot. And I, I seriously, I think I pivoted four months in a row. just like so many other bloggers. It's like, you know, do this. Now this is going down. Oh no, I need to do this now. Oh no. But the more you're diversified, the better off you are. And diversified means many things. It can mean, um, I can diversify my affiliate partner. So I have several affiliate partners. Um, re- reward style is my second largest one. So I tried to double double up on that or double down, whatever the right term is, because they did not cut the commissions, right? So I'm like, let me just work on getting the blog posts that are already done and getting those to rank higher or getting my my um, my links to convert better because I can make, some more money there and let me do more products. And, you know, and then I started to do some more printable or create printables on my, um, you know, for my home decor stuff as well. So, and I have my home decor stuff. I started to do some SEO and blogging about blogging stuff because that's what I was doing, this whole quest to get this debt down, right? So I have these two SEO books and then I created more as time went on. And then I can market in that way. I can market other people's affiliate products as well. So you can also diversify by, um, like, asset allocation is kind of like affiliates versus products versus ad revenue. But I can also diversify by having multiple blogs. So many people will do multiple sites, they'll have niche sites. So some people that were in travel, they then started doing, like, a homeschool blog. And you, you can totally do that. You just have to keep thinking. I think about this like layers, you know, think about the winter, what are my layers that are going to keep me warm when everything gets really bad and they can't peel off all the layers from me, just they can't. So the more layers I have, the better off I am. And I just keep trying to look at things like that. It's another layer, another income stream, and it just keeps building and building.
0: What a great perspective and what a great visual too, thinking about it, like layers and Yes, I am with you. I told you my story before we pressed record for this interview, but I relied on ad revenue for so long. It's one of those things that I was referring to earlier if I could go back I would have done things so differently but now it's like okay it's clear now and that's all that matters but now I see so much I see the importance of diversifying and I see people wanting to get ads on their sites really badly and I get it because I was there too for a while and it's important and it's a good baseline I think like Ad revenue is a really good, I always call it just a baseline income. Yes, I totally agree. You cannot rely on it 100% because, like you said, Debbie, there are times of the year when things are not good and, and the RPMs tank. And for me, it was always the summer months, like when June would roll around. I mean, I was making like half or less than what I made in Q4. And It was devastating, and every year I'd be like, okay, but this is summer. I live in Minnesota. We love summer. We love hot weather, and now we can't do anything because we can't afford it, and it was like every year I was going through this, and now I feel like this whole world has opened up where it's not all about the ads, and there are so many different things to do, and it's really easy to get started with I mean, we could go onto the topic of so many different things, affiliate marketing, for example, or creating an ebook. Um, this is why we created our monetization ebook for eblog talk, because we want people to know this, that it's, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. You can do it and you need to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I see ads as usually for most people being a starting point. It's certainly not the end point, but it's a starting point and that's all it is, the starting point. And then how do you stabilize things over time? My flooring biz business was exactly the opposite. So, um, In the winter and come the holidays, nobody wants to do their floors. You know, once you have a Christmas tree, the floors can't be done until the Christmas tree is removed. And then when it snows here, like does where you are, people don't want to do their floors. They don't want to paint. They don't want to do all the stuff. They don't want people coming in with the snow or anything like that. Even if it's not snowing that day, they don't know because some days it will snow, right? So then you're like, okay, now I have to wait until March. And so I wanted a business where I wasn't taken in by these seasons all the time. And so I wanted to make sure that my blog was more weatherproof. So if we had snow days and the flooring jobs got canceled, I wouldn't be panicking like, oh my God, when are we going to reschedule this job? You know, to I need a much more uniform sort of income coming in. So for you, your downtimes are the summer. For me, the downtimes were the winter and the holidays. And now, given everything that I've done, I don't notice a ton of difference. Like my baseline or my waterline is much, obviously, it's higher than what I needed to be at like over $20,000 a month. But, you know, and then I'll have some months where it's like extra high. November is always a very, very high month for me because of Black Friday and stuff like that. But I am still doing really well during almost any month. Like even this month, January, which is a pretty... Sucky month for me. I'm probably going to be, you know, twenty one thousand dollars. You know, which I think is good. So then you use your other forms of income to get by. Now the truth is, when I was first starting, I told you I was doing some basically freelancing, doing blogging and SEO. But I was making a steady, you know, four thousand dollars a month from that. So even when the blog income was lower in January, I at least still had that that other income, and that's another way that people can supplement is doing freelancing or VA work or any sort of thing. And you can even choose to up that during your lower months and decrease it during your higher months. Like the world is your oyster. You, you're you running your business, not vice versa. The business doesn't run you, you run the business and then you know ahead of time Where are my low points going to be? And what am I going to do about that to avoid that?
0: Oh, that's so also smart. And I love how you think, Debbie. You just think through things in such a way that just makes sense. And I love listening to you talk about all of this and not just affiliate marketing, but how everything kind of plays together. And you touched on this a little while ago, but you were talking about how affiliate marketing you know, it's great, but affiliate marketing is even better when you focus on SEO. And yeah, blog or ad traffic is great, but ad traffic is even better when you put focuses on other things. So it's not just about affiliate marketing. It's about seeing the whole business and how every piece of it can come together to kind of help the other pieces out. (laughs)
1: Right, right. Exactly. And so I do a lot of SEO stuff so that I don't have to keep pumping out articles all the time. So I told you I made four to $5,000 a month on Amazon. I also make four to $5,000 a month on reward style, which seems to be really good for, um, actually, it's good for food bloggers too, but home decor, um, fashion, food bloggers, stuff like that. And so I'm constantly bringing that in, but it's not like I'm producing lots of content at this point. So I have maybe 300 articles on my site from over the years. And my first two years, like, you know, 2017, 2018, I tried to pump out a lot of content and refocus because I wasn't focused on affiliate marketing. But once I got to that and I had a lot of traffic. Then it's more like maintenance and continue to grow a little bit. So in 2019, I only did six articles. So one every other month. And then last year I only did five. I was attending to do six, but I, I was like, I'm too tired. I don't feel like it. I don't need it. So I didn't do it. So I still have an article waiting for me to review that someone else wrote. Um, so I had to put that on. But you don't have to keep pumping out lots and lots of content once you get to a certain traffic level. And I don't, you know, I don't know if there's a magic traffic level or, or anything like that. But once you're at a good Point in your income, I guess I would say you can start to be more choiceful about what you do and what you don't do. The other thing aside from that that helps affiliate marketing can be an email list. So this is one of my—I've made so many mistakes, but this is one of my one of my bigger mistakes. I think is that I didn't do email sooner, and all these people would say, "Oh, I should have started email from day one." And I honestly think that that's a really bad plan too. Because if I had started email day one, I would have given up on it a long time ago and it would have been a chore and I would have sucked at it. Okay, But I started doing it in, I think, a year and a half ago or so. And I, I did it for my SEO list. And I was like, oh, you should start doing it. And I'm like, God, I can't keep that up. I'm like, SEO is the key. And the truth is, these are all building blocks in the whole framework. So, yes, SEO is key. It is. Once you are getting that strong SEO traffic, then you can get more and you can get better email subscribers. So, SEO will free up your time. So, then you can focus on how do I make products? How do I get more email subscribers? How do I create funnels to get them into my products? It's all related. I just see SEO as the first step because that's attracting your right target audience to your blog to then sign up for your. You know, opt in, which I'm kind of—I'm pretty bad on that on the home decor side of the business, but on my other part of the business, like worked like clockwork right away, and I could see the potential. So now I'm like, all right, how do I take this learning from the last year and a half, and how do I apply that to home decor? Like, what are the products and printables I can make? What is the opt in, and how do I create funnels for that to get them in there? So if I want affiliate marketing, I can either get them in from SEO because people have a need or a question for something, they'll type it into Google, and then hopefully my blog post shows up, they find it, and then they may buy when appropriate. Or I have a trusted audience with my email list, and they they know me, and they like me, and they trust me. And so over time, I can recommend things to them because they know I'm not in this just to sell the highest item with the biggest affiliate commission, right? Like that's a really poor strategy. And if you're always just selling to your list and trying to make money off of them and you're not helping them, like that's, you're going to lose their trust. You you can't operate that way. But if you start always with the customer, what do they need? What's right for them? What's the logic? Then I can fill that. So, you know, I don't try to sell high priced um, blogging courses because I just think many of them are overpriced and that people need to, you know, after (laughs) going through trying to get out of debt, I want to try to be more conservative with the money and invest wisely. And I try to, I guess, or imagine that a lot of my email subscribers are the same way, you know, because they came with me on this whole get out of debt journey. So like every month I would publish my income report. And then I'd say, here's how much debt I have left. And, it would just keep going down and down. And people are like, we're rooting for you. We're on your side. And, you know, I, and I got out of debt on July 14th and I couldn't believe it. And I was like, Oh my God. And of course we're all stuck at home with coronavirus. I'm like, I can't even go on vacation. Like, I was supposed to go to the Jersey shore, you know, <laughs> what happened? Um, but hopefully, you know, this year I can maybe do that and, you know, Get a vaccine and because i 'm immunocompromised, so I had to be more careful but i 'm hoping that this summer will be my summer i haven 't had a vacation in five years, so i i wanted I really really want to do that. I really need some time I need to get out of my apartment too <laughs> so you
0: deserve it you deserve it, and it 's going to happen and I want an email about how amazing it was because I mean, goodness, the story is so incredible. And if anyone deserves an amazing vacation in 2021, it is you, Debbie. Oh, well, thank you for sharing all of this. I, I, My brain is just absolutely swimming with ideas and with inspiration and encouragement, insights and all of that. And I did not expect this conversation to be so well-rounded and just not just about affiliate marketing, but about so much more than that. It really is about just looking at your business as a whole instead of just piece by piece piecing it together. Everything really is connected. And you just explained all of that so well. So thank you so much for being here. If there's one takeaway that you would impart to food bloggers about really anything we've talked about today, just one bit of encouragement for their business going into 2021, what would that be? Um,
1: well, I think you just need to get started and and do it and be committed. And I guess related to it is figure out what is your niche? Like what, and what is your point of difference? So one big mistake that I see people making, and, and I was tempted to do it at one point too, was they just blog about lots of different things. So they do what's called a lifestyle blog or a lifestyle niche, but it's not really a niche. So you don't, you can't be everything to everyone. It's just, you can't. And it's just like the opposite of marketing so instead choose who is my ideal target audience and what are their needs and how am i going to solve that so i think one of the reasons that i've been successful is i have a blog it's mainly about flooring and painting and yes i do some other home decor stuff but i try to focus it and then what are those questions that people have so my advice would be either niche down or choose a niche in the first place and go deep rather than wide you know you will ultimately go wide on your ways that you're making money but you will take that one step at a time if you narrow what it is that you're an expert in and that you can provide value for your customers people will trust your advice and like your advice and you will Be an expert, even if you're not one yet. Like when I started my flooring business, when was it? I can't even remember. It was like the dark ages. But um, I think 2008, I, I actually knew nothing. Nothing about flooring. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you what was real wood versus fake, and that's how stupid I was. Um, but you know, you now now I can tell you like all the different species and the colors and this and how to sand your floors and how to do this and that. You learn it and you become an expert and you become passionate about it. And so that would be my advice: is find one area that you are really really good at and dive deep into that, and then think about all the different ways that you can monetize. And do not worry about doing it all the first year. It, in fact, don't. You will you will probably fail if you do that. Like I told you before, I'm glad I didn't do email at the beginning. Like I really am because I would have been really bad at it. But now I can see all these other people that do really well with it. So I'm like, okay, now, now I get it. And it becomes more incremental versus at the beginning, it would have been a daunting task. So you got to take this whole thing incrementally like every month what's going to be one more thing so i guess that's my advice sorry a little long-handed.
0: no that don't say sorry because that was amazing and i think that is such solid great advice so thanks for that debbie and again just thank you so much for being here it was such a pleasure to talk to you you're so fun to talk to, oh, fun
1: to, talk to you too.
0: yes so thanks and i know this is going to Resonate with a lot of people listening. This is going to be a great one. Um, Okay, we are going to put together a show notes page for you. So if anyone wants to go peek at those, uh, you can read the transcript there. You can grab any resources that we talked about. You can find those at eblogtalk.com forward slash Debbie Gartner. And that's spelled with a T, -T G-A-R-T-N-E-R. So Debbie, why don't you tell my listeners the best place to find you online? And also, I feel like you had a video series or something. Why don't you talk about like anything that you feel might help food bloggers with SEO? Yeah, you have some SEO um, information that you put together too.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I guess the best place to find me is theflooringgirl.com. And then when you go there, if you want blogging resources and stuff like that, which I have hidden on my site <laughs> because it's not relevant to my people. But anyway, you can only find it on the homepage. So if you go to the homepage, there are like eight blocks. And then the eighth one says my books and courses. And you can find everything that I've created there. So I have two really, um, really popular SEO eBooks that you can take a look at. I also have a free SEO um, course that people can get started with. I can give you a link to that too. And I, of course, have an Amazon um, course as well, which people can read and they can listen to the videos on there. And I share all my tips and tricks of what I've learned from Amazon over the last several years. Now course has been very, very popular as well, but you can find everything in there, probably everything except how to subscribe to my email list, <laughs> which is really funny um so I should probably create that at some point, but not to worry if you um but I think if you get the free s e o course that that is in there, then you will eventually join my email list and you're welcome to unsubscribe if you think my advice is you know awful and that that's totally fine um but that's, that's where you can find me, theflooringgirl.com. And then look for the, the link for books and courses. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you, Debbie, again, for being here. And thank you so much for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time.